We will continue our study today about Joseph. I think we took a break last week. And so today we will read from Genesis 43. Genesis 43, uh, all of the verses. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again. Buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If, if you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. And I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps that was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and to seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food, and when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. 
we do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming. They prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them, and they bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired of their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber, and he wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. And then portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Alice. Quite a story as we jump back in to chapters uh, 42 to 45. And to understand chapters 42 to 45 of Genesis, you have to understand Joseph's actions and God's actions. We say a blessing for us. Lord Jesus, come upon us. Open your word to us. Uh, speak to us now. Amen. So, Joseph's actions and God's actions. Let's recap a little bit. Remember, he was sold into slavery by his brothers for being an arrogant punk. Do you remember? By broadcasting that God had given him these dreams that the family would all bow down to him. And really, they were envious of him. It was envy they had. Envy was their problem. Joseph's father had a special love and riches, and, was, and he was singled out by God, too, for these dreams well, after being sold, remember, he was spent many years in prison and then rose to the height of power as second in command in Egypt with wisdom and, and stature now providing food for the whole world during an intense famine. And as his brothers approach Egypt now for food in these two encounters, Joseph's actions, remember, we described them as a mix of frost uh, and, and sun, a mix of icy cold testing and sunny grace and mercy, frost and sun. Some commentators look at Joseph's treatment of his brothers, and they don't, quite, they don't actually quite understand it. They, they talk about him being cruel or power-hungry, 
and just using his power to oppress his brothers by not um, giving up his identity? Or they ask, you know, why doesn't he just reveal his identity and forgive immediately? Or, just, just, or on the other hand, just go ahead and get even and throw them in to prison. Why toy with them? Why mess with them? Because he loves them, and he doesn't just want reconciliation. Do you remember? He wants the same type of transformation he had received through his own seasons of frost and sun. Do you remember this quote? We're just part of it here. It was a longer quote, but this was where a lot of the idea came from. A man, Derek Kidner, a commentator, said, Just how well judged was his policy, that means frost and sun alternating, can be seen in the growth of the quite new attitudes in his brothers as the alternating sun and frost broke them open to God like a cracked egg on the side of a bowl. So that's how we're to understand Joseph's actions as he gives his brothers much more sun now in this second encounter today. But how about God's actions? We've been talking through this series about God's sovereignty and providence as we've defined them. God's sovereignty being the rule and reign of God over all things, everything. And his providence being the hidden work behind the scenes, behind the curtain, off stage but still on stage, God's hidden work in the world, in history, and in our lives, in your life, everything. God's providence is the fact that he, he, he's working in these hidden ways in everything in your life, all things that happen. And today we're going to see a very clear example of his providence in the brothers' lives through this steward of Joseph's house, this man, in this second encounter between Joseph and his brothers, the, now the, the shutters of, or curtains of, of, of mercy open up and sunny mercy begins to shine and open up on this family. From Jacob's prayer of mercy for his boys to the stewards of Joseph's house, proclamation of peace to Joseph's home-shared feast. Those are the three things we're going to kind of look at. But here was Joseph's question in his mind. When he showed mercy... Would the brothers reciprocate? Would they respond in like kind? Let's find out as we look at the three realities in this story that I just mentioned. Here's our first reality, Jacob's prayer. Jacob's prayer shows that the greatest reality for the family was God and his mercy. God and his mercy. Mercy is really the theme of of this entire chapter, this concept and idea of mercy. It, it, it's covered, in fact, with a floodlight of mercy, this chapter is. But how, how would we describe biblical mercy? How would you describe mercy, before we move into the story, as used in Jacob's prayer for the family? Listen to verse 14 again. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your brother, your other brother, and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. He, he, he prays for mercy. So what is it? A great verse that summarizes mercy, Isaiah 63, 7. Take a look at it and maybe jot the reference down for later or for growth groups. I will recount, Isaiah writes, the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he's granted them according to his compassion. That's a word. 
according to the abundance of his steadfast love. God's mercy is his compassion, the compassion of the Lord in, in, in covenant love. Remember, he's covenanted with his people. He's committed to his people to do them good and to see their suffering and enter into it. That's mercy. It's compassion. They're synonymous in some ways. Mercy is what he has for his people. It is his disposition towards his covenant people or towards you as a child of God, giving them not what they deserve, which would be justice for our sin, but something better, especially in Jesus. That's mercy. Mercy for us. Jesus, he gets what we deserve. We receive what? Say it with me. Mercy. You get mercy. That's our reality as children of God if we live in light of it. Well, so far, though, in this story, in Jacob, this patriarch, so far in this current section as we think about Jacob, his controlling reality has not actually really been God and his mercy. And we've seen it in his actions and words. It's been more his own desires and will and his own fears. Chapter 42, he said, all of this has been done to me. My children are gone. It's all been done to me. And then in our chapter, he says, no way, you won't take Benjamin. Even if this man wants to see him, even if our food counts on it, you won't take my son. It's self, self-oriented, and understandably upset, but then in our chapter today, he also says this, why did you treat me so badly? Most of his words in these, in this, these chapters are they're, they're self-referential. His controlling reality, I think revealing to us, his controlling reality, his greatest reality was his own problems and how he was being affected by them. Not God and his mercy. And so far, it hasn't served him well, has it? He was certain Joseph was dead. He was certain Benjamin would be dead too. And he was just absolutely certain that everything was going to blow up in his face. And he dug his heels in in fear. Fear was in the way of his faith. Can you relate? I can. <laughs> I can relate. Fear was in the way of his faith. Well, why would that be if Yahweh was his covenant God? God had bound himself to this family through Abraham, locked himself into this family. And if that's the case, case anything is possible for Jacob and these boys. And for you too. And for me too. And for all of us. How often we do this though. How often I do this, my controlling reality, the only thing I can see, the thing in front of me, is my circumstances, my feelings, my predictions about how things are going to turn out. Do you do that? And then that becomes the running dialogue in our mind, whether it's a struggle with a health problem or financial predicaments, or relational loss. And we tell ourselves, this is the way it's always going to be. And that becomes our controlling reality. It's going to blow up in my face. Of course you can't have Benjamin. No way. 
Everything is against me, Jacob says. In many ways, Jacob's responding to a, a, a godless reality, even though he's a God-fearer and believer. Only what his own eyes could see, what his own mind could tell him, until his prayer, until he utters those words. But it took, didn't it, the frost for him too, the frost of the famine to push him into action, maybe imagining his family starving to death, and then the sunshine of Judah's kind pledge. Did you hear Judah's kind words as Alice read? How different Judah's pledge was and is to, than to Reuben's that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Remember Reuben said, well, kill my sons if I don't bring Benjamin back. Where Judah says, let me take the blame. Let me take the blame if he doesn't return. What a kind uh, word to his father. More on that one next week. But it broke Jacob open. The alternating frost and sunshine broke him open and his prayer, don't miss it. It's not just perfunctory or just ritual or just something that good, good Hebrews, good Jews do. It's a real prayer. His greater in reality in that moment becomes almighty God in that moment. And may, for maybe a bit of saving face, before he does it, returns to his fatherly role by giving these detailed instructions. Do this, this guys, do this and this and this. Take this gift and present it. But then he prays. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. That's El Shaddai there. God Almighty, he says. And he uses that, that term because he's closely connecting in his heart and mind to this God of almighty blessings and promises, the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, and soon to be the sons. May this God, God Almighty, may this God, God all-powerful, may this God grant you mercy, my boys, before this man. The greater reality behind all the other realities and the reality that would work through all the other realities in providence was Almighty God and His character of compassion and mercy. And, and Jacob here even reconciles himself to the will of God. If I lose my children, then I do. He just reconciles himself throws himself at God's mercy and his character and compassion as he knows him. And that is what you and I need to do. That is what I need. That is what you need. What circumstances of life is God using right now, frosty or sunny, that he's putting upon you in his providence to call you to call upon him? As God Almighty, have mercy. God Almighty, have mercy on me. The cry is still there in Jacob. It doesn't negate the hard reality. It's, it, it, it's daunting to think about sending his boys off. But it sees the greater reality in the cry as the controlling factor, God Almighty. Amen. I know it's hard 
when life looks frosty or stormy and downright nasty, kind of like this spring, huh? (laughs) The ongoing winter that's kind of kept. I know it's hard. On the surface, you feel like you cannot see God at work. You don't know where he's at. But Jesus said these words. Have you believed because you've seen me to his disciples? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's you. That's me. That's us. We're blessed because we haven't seen and yet we still believe. And if you're still not sure that he's merciful, look at Jesus. Look at his cross. That's mercy. He saw our need. He saw our suffering. He saw our broken world. He saw into your future and humanity's need, and he entered into it. What could be more merciful? God the Father didn't hold back his Benjamin, did he? Didn't keep him back. One of the 12. No, he sent his only son. He didn't hold him back. He sent him off to that far land, earth, for you. And if he was was willing to make you a son or a daughter by giving Jesus your justice and giving you mercy in that big cosmic way, will he not also work through the day-to-day stuff? I have to believe that. I have to hold on to that. You've got to hold on to that because life is confusing. Life throws you curveballs. You don't know what's around another corner. You don't know what's coming this afternoon. And yet he does, and he's a God of mercy. And it became Jacob's greater reality. And will he not have mercy as we think about those trials too? If they make you more like Jesus, there's good in them. If they break you open to his grace and mercy, there's good in them. I pray that God would be our greatest reality and that would make us faithful and bold and courageous as we trust his mercy in the hard stuff of life because that's what Jacob's beginning to do. It's our first reality in this story. The boys head out for Egypt as Jacob's prayer shows that greater reality that's coming to the forefront for the family, God and his mercy. And so they head out to Egypt. So let's take a look at our second reality today. Mercy begins to flow to the brothers now too. In an answer to prayer, you could say, through God's providence with a concrete reality of peace and security. Now, they come before the steward of Joseph's house. And as they come, it's as if they had entirely forgotten their father's prayer as he sent them on their way. The prayer to God, almighty El Shaddai. I mean, and to be fair, I think that would probably be our temptation, each of us, to be afraid in that moment, going before the all-powerful of Egypt, I mean, why, they probably must have been thinking, why of all people coming to this Viceroy Joseph for food, why would he call us into his house? 
Think about that. Behind the scenes, Joseph is telling people, create a great feast. Kill the fatted calf. We know that. They don't. Make us a feast at noon. But to Joseph's brothers, they're thinking, we're going straight to the dungeon. We're going straight to the dungeon. It's the money. It was in our bags he, he, that we found when we got home. He thinks we stole it. And he probably wants our donkeys too. <clears throat> kind of sounds silly, doesn't it? It's probably a bit naive. Do you think the second in command is thinking, I want their donkeys? <laughs> probably not, but they're a little more naive and simple as, as Joseph is in second in command. Uh, it's like saying the thief broke in to steal my underwear, something like that, you know. He doesn't need the donkeys, but nevertheless, it's on their mind. They don't understand it yet. God was at work in his providence to deliver this entire family. And through them, save the world. He just had quite a bit more work to do on them. And he does on you too. And he definitely does on me. More work to do. They approach this steward and God is going to work in and on them. And here's where we get, as he opens the door, we get this beautiful glimpse of providence. A peek behind the curtain in the story. And it must have come like a sun, a ray of sunshine to them. Of peace and security when they're fearing for their heads. The steward is the direct answer to Jacob's prayer. Almighty God, have mercy. And here it comes in the steward. It's astonishing, actually. This is a word from a pagan Egyptian who doesn't believe in El Shaddai, doesn't believe in Yahweh. He's the one who took care of their brother's house. And they desperately explained to him, we didn't do it. We didn't do it on purpose. I promise. Here's the money. Take it. We, we just didn't. We don't, we don't know. You know, we didn't do it. And he replied to them. Sorry, I've got a wrong. Oh, I did fix it on there. I had a wrong reference in my, but it's right up there. He replied to them. Here's what he said. Peace to you. Peace. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put the treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Wait, what? Peace to you? God put the money there? Are, are, are we hearing him correctly? Yes, they were. So he speaks to them, shalom lechem. Peace to you. It was the traditional Hebrew greeting now. A pagan Egyptian now speaks to them in Hebrew a traditional greeting for welcoming someone into your home as a guest. Can you imagine how that sounded in their ears? What? Shalom? Shalom in this house? Shalom from this Egyptian? There's peace in the midst of a foreign land? It meant that the concrete reality that God gave these brothers here through his providence was going to be for them one of peace and security in those two words. Shalom, shalom. And not only that, Simeon is instantly returned to them, hinting that forgiveness is available to them. So what's going on with the money here? It's a little strange, isn't it? Did God put it there? Was it like miraculously floated in there as they were traveling back? 
Did God put it there? Well, yes and no, I would say. He says to them, your God put your money in there. I got your money. It's providence. The steward knows, and we know, and Joseph's brothers are probably figuring out that the steward put the money back in there. The steward put it there. And yet, at the same time, he says, God put it there. It's remarkable. A pagan Egyptian is giving these Hebrew boys a lesson on providence. He's giving them a lesson on providence. Did God do it? Yes. He's the primary cause, the primary providential cause. How did he do it? He worked through Joseph and the steward. He blessed the boys and put the money back. God was at work through these human agents as a secondary cause. See, God might be invisible. And he is. He's spirit. As the son, he's in body. But the son is with the father right now. We don't see him. God might be invisible. We might not see him. But, but we see lots of stuff, don't we? And you see people around you, don't you? God can work through all the stuff and all the people around you. And he does. All of it, as he did here with Joseph and the steward for these boys. Where is he at work in your life through others? Other people, friends, a family member, acquaintance, a coworker. Where is he at work in, in, in your life through others? Where is he at work using the situations of your life where he seems invisible, but he's at work? It, it's astonishing, and it's a huge answer to prayer for this family. God is at work in, in, in a myriad, a million ways in our lives, I believe, that we can't see that you can't see, that you can't know that he's necessarily one-to-one -one correlation as they couldn't, but he is. Look at the lesson this pagan Egyptian teaches these Hebrew boys. Yes, God did it, and I put it back. It's astonishing. He comes, he's this huge answer to prayer in their life. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. Here's the mercy. He show, they show up and here is the mercy. And so what do they do? They spruce the brothers up and they, they wash their feet and they go, guys, here's some food for those donkeys. <laughs> we don't need the donkeys. I kind of, as I was reading it this week, it reminded me of that picture, uh, total side, side note, but it reminded me of uh, Wizard of Oz when they clean up the Tin Man and, and the, the Lion and Dorothy before they're go, to go in to see Oz. They spruce the boys up. They make them feel good. They get them ready. To go see Joseph. Was it just a ruse? Or is it kind of the calm before the storm? Were they just dizzying them with all this mercy, merciful treatment only to pull the rug out from under them when Joseph comes? They probably were thinking that. But the answer in the story is no. This was God at work, bringing mercy to this family, showing us his character thousands of years later. It's the same God. It's the same one who's orchestrating the details of your life. He brings mercy as God Almighty. Even as Joseph's still testing, let's look at the third reality. Even as Joseph is still testing his brother for signs of envy, 
the feast that they're preparing is the reality of welcoming his brothers home. He's still testing them a little, and he's going to even in the next, next week, but there's a greater reality here that he's beginning to welcome his brothers home. So Joseph, again, alternates for them sun and frost, sun and frost. He had to be sure, are they really changing? Are you really changing? Or will they still be green with envy as they were with Joseph? So what does he do? He does a couple little things here. He gives Benjamin five times greater portion than anyone else. <laughs> How's that for a test? Sit down, my brothers. Piling it on these, this one brother and then yeah, the rest of you get, you know, an okay portion. Five times as much. How did these brothers respond when Joseph was given more? Let's kill the dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's take his life. Brothers now. And that's actually what envy is. Envy is not just wanting something that someone else has. Maybe that's coveting. Envy is also not wanting them to have it either, maybe even to death. That was their attitude the first time when one brother was given five times more Joseph. Let's kill the dreamer. But now, through a series of, uh, of episodes of sun and frost, mercy and trials, they drink and are merry with Joseph. Joseph. The final verse says, they, they, they drink and they're merry with Joseph. They're at peace in this house at this feast. The method is working. They are changing. They are growing in God. And they're almost ready, not quite. They're almost ready to see Joseph face to face. Not quite, almost. But it's in the feast and welcoming them into the home that I want to camp on for our conclusion. His greeting is, is touching and, and beautiful as, as the brothers reunite. He too says to them, shalom, three times in his words. Shalom, shalom, shalom. It's peace. And he shows concern. How's your father? And Benjamin, how, how's your old man? Is he doing okay? Is he still, is he still living? to set him at ease. And he turns his attention to Benjamin in the story now, and he singles him out for special attention too. Remember, it's his brother, Rachel, his biological. God, be gracious to you, my son. And what do we see? Joseph is overwhelmed, the text says. The story says he's overwhelmed with compassion and warmth for his brother. The Hebrew literally says his mercies were heated up. His mercies caught fire for his brothers. It's the exact same word translated compassion in verse 30 as it is for mercy in verse 14. Here again, Jacob's prayer answered 
As Joseph shows mercy to these brothers, his half-brothers, and Benjamin, or Benjamin is full. The brothers don't know it, but they are being flooded with sunny mercy and grace and peace and security, and a family reunion is coming. And now they sit down at the table to feast. And here's the irony. Here's the flip in the story. Here's the irony. Years earlier, Joseph's brothers sat down to a meal too, didn't they? After they'd beat him to a pulp and threw him in a pit and listened to him cry out for mercy. Have mercy, get me out of this pit. And they sat down and feasted. And now here in mercy... Joseph welcomes them into his home, these same brothers, these same brothers, and offers them grace and and peace and safety and security. Unbeknownst to them, it was a 20-year family reunion, wasn't it? They didn't know it. He even seats them by birth order, another small signal that something's up here and something good is coming. There would have been just a, a, a dizzying awe for the brothers, an overwhelming sense of gratitude and mercy. Why are we, of all people, dining with the second-in-command in Egypt? How many of you have ever been invited to dine with someone of power? Probably none of us, of real power. None of us. I mean, they would have been thinking the same thing. What are we doing in this room? Why are we here? There was something special going on here, and it was more than just a backyard family barbecue. Something was going on here. I love one commentator's thoughts in the passage and and, and meals in the Bible, and it'll help us kind of crack what's happening here. He says, the meal, the meal in general in the Bible has an exalted meaning in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The simple satisfaction of hunger would not be considered a meal in the Bible. One need only remember the shared meals of Jesus and his disciples to understand that, the last of which demonstrates this in a special way. The meal is not just an expression of a community or think family there, but engenders it. It it, it cultivates this, this community, this commonality. The acceptance of a guest into the fellowship of a meal is therefore simultaneously granting a participation in one's own existence. This was special. This wasn't just burgers on the grill. Unbeknownst to the brothers, Jacob was welcoming them back in to his very own existence, to his heart, back to who he was and is. And in this moment, they were totally unaware of their selves and their self-absorption, and all their problems and fears. They ate and drank and were merry, verse 34 says, as as, as Joseph welcomed them back into his existence. He was granting them full pardon and forgiveness. They just didn't know it yet. And he was so overwhelmed and heated up with mercy that he was ready to feast even if they didn't know it yet. Do you know in the same mercy, heated up warmth of mercy, Jesus is preparing a feast for us. He is preparing a feast for you with that same heated up mercy. Isaiah hinted at it. 
on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that's spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever, forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. God Almighty, he will do it. What was for Joseph's brothers a party of mercy, forgiveness, and a great food was just a foretaste of what our future feast will be of what is coming for those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus. It's called the wedding supper of the Lamb. When Jesus is reunited with his bride, but you know what? It'll go on forever and ever and ever into eternity. Do you want to know what is coming for us at our family reunion? First of all, Frost and Son will have fully completed and done their job in your life. We will arrive as the spotless bride sanctified, holy, complete. It'll mean never again to have a sinful impulse in your heart or a self-obsessed thought ever. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what kind of freedom that will be? I mean, that'll, to, to live and act on any instinct that comes into your heart and mind and say any word that comes to the tip of your tongue, do you know what kind of freedom that will be? To be totally, you're right, we don't. <laughs> I don't either, but I want it. I want that. Pure, holy freedom. And won't you be in a feasting mindset when you realize all suffering, physical ailments, pain, and death have been swallowed up, swallowed up? And as the head chef himself, Jesus will be there. He'll remove sin and pain and death forever. And we will see him and we will bow down to him fully loving him and fully loved by him. And he will say, welcome home. I'm welcoming you into my very existence at this meal. Welcome home. But here's the great reality. Here's the greater realities we're talking about today. We already have in part what we will have fully at the feast, don't we? John 17, in his great high priestly prayer, Jesus said, I'm praying for them. I'm praying not for the whole world, but for those whom you've given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. You see that? We're welcomed into his very existence through the cross. Even now you have that. We taste in part now what we'll have in full forever. He went on to say, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world and I'm coming to you. So Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in our existence. Keep them safe and secure and faithful and obedient. Keep them in your name, which you've given me, he finished. 
that they may be one even as we are one. Do you see it? We have in part now what we'll celebrate in full at the feast. And that glory Jesus talks about receives from us, it'll be complete at the feast. It'll be complete because we'll all be home and we'll be there. It'll be like nothing you've ever experienced on earth. Every great party you've been to added up will only be an ounce of it. Every great feast you've experienced, every dip into joy and self-forgetfulness will be one small drop on your tongue compared to what awaits us. Or those who've gone before us. It'll be like the title of Johnny Erickson Tata's kids book, a book on heaven for kids called An Awesome, Super, Fantastic, Forever Party. (laughs) That's what it'll be. And you're invited to that party through faith in Jesus. And if you've already accepted your invitation, how should you live? How should we live when God sends sun and frost into your life? Or when he's testing us in our faith by removing from us things that we held on to too tightly, idols or sin? How should we live when all we can do is cry out for mercy in the midst of some dark night? Persevere by thinking of the party. Persevere by thinking of what's ahead. Colossians 3 says, if you then have been raised with Christ, if you've got the reality in part now, you've been united to him, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, resurrection life, seated at the right hand of God. That's El Shaddai, all power, that's power. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Set your mind on resurrection life and power and purpose and fulfillment. Set your mind on Christ and the forever feast that's awaiting us. That's how we live. We haven't seen him or it yet, but what did Jesus say? Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who've not seen and yet believed. Believe. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this story of Joseph. The frost, the heat the brothers felt. The frost you felt as you took our justice and gave us mercy. Lord Jesus, give us a heavenly mindset. Give us eyes to see what's coming. Open the curtain, reveal your glory to us. Remind us of the reality of being welcomed into your very existence now and forever and that great party that awaits us. In Christ's name we pray.